Beathard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. Ah, he got it! Smith! Touchdown! 85 yards! Iowa! 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Don't miss a thing from the world of college football. Stay right here for College Gridiron on WFUV Sports. Welcome to College Gridiron, a production of WFUV Sports, the college football podcast of WFUV Sports. It's just a dynamic duo today. What's going on, everybody? Will Talent with Colin Lochran. First time that me and the Kali Lockster have been on a podcast in quite a while. So, Colin, man, how you doing, man? How was your semester? My semester has been jam-packed. You name it, it's gone on. I've had a bunch of coursework, a bunch of stuff here at WFUV. Really happy to be with you here. This may be my first appearance on College Grid. No way. Wow. Wow. There it is. A little debut in the grad school. Truly happy to be here. I've wanted to get on this pod for the longest time. Just haven't gotten around to it, but happy to be talking some Heisman with you. We are knocking on the door of some really interesting bowl games as well. I'm a little bit nervous to see how Michigan fares in the college football playoff. Maybe we could get a little bit of that later on. But, my friend, I heard you got to go to the Heisman in New York City recently. How was that experience? Oh, man, Colin, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. And we'll get more into it as we discuss the winner of the Heisman and the, and the finals, too. Some of them still playing some meaningful football. But, man, it was quite the experience. It was at the Marriott Marquis a hotel that I know about. I know that branch of Marriott, and I, I've been to the New Orleans one, but I've never been to the Times Square one. I grew up in New Jersey my whole life, and I was I walked in there, and I was like, wow, this is like the most unbelievable hotel I've ever seen. The whole setup was crazy. It was just the big buffet, Ooh. the media availability. You know what it was? The organization was perfect. That's key. Like, they knew exactly what was going to go down with this event. And a lot of people that you talk to there, it was like their 30th, their 25th time going there. And it's relatively been in the same place. So the routine is pretty, you know, standard. But it was all organized. They had it down to a science. And even when they had to cancel things, we made do at the time that we had. It was just a phenomenal experience, man. You know, we've both been beat reporters here at the station. I think there's one of two ways, or really, yeah, one of two ways that media availability works. You either want that Uber organization that you're talking about or just no organization at all anything in between doesn't work no it never does it never does as for the marriott sounds like they did a bang up job maybe a little bit different than a holiday inn very much so man (laughs) the hotels were like little pods that shot up the 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 (laughs) hotel man i don't even know how many floors there were there were just so many but it was just so beautiful man the whole thing was just well done and Outside Times Square, after he won, those billboards were ready to go. There was such a cool video of Jaden Daniels highlighting that he won the Heisman. Just out in Times Square, hundreds of thousands of people just walking by. And it's just like, there it is. It was right there, the presentation. Like It was just so very, very cool event. All of them very well-spoken individuals and very um, kind individuals, too. They were very nice to talk to. the Heisman candidates, that being, you know, college students like us, man, in finals week, like we were. Um, that was also another cool thing. Understanding that 
you know, the your coverage is of college students, something that we already do. So it was like, wow, this is what we do for Fordham, but at the most highest stage that you can get. And you mentioned the billboards in Times Square and oh, things yeah, of that dude. effect. New York City, not traditionally known as a football town, mm -hmm. but something like that just reemphasizes the importance of the New York market. And for these young men, having that type of spotlight could help their careers astronomically. For the winner, of course, Jaden Daniels could do marvelous things for him in terms of endorsement deals, things of that sort. So to have all of them at this event, speaking well, uh, you know, really kind of representing their institutions well, speaks volumes about them and could do wonders for them regardless of whether or not they actually won the Heisman. Absolutely. And you really think about it, you know, what you're saying as well too, Con. Them being our age and being in college, being in a very similar spot academically as we are, you know, deciding. You know, obviously, those four are most likely going to play in the NFL, but, you know, they in their life, they're in a very similar spot as we are. And it was just very, very cool to see like this is like their first dose of what they're getting into. Maybe they won't have a career where their media availability is like this, but it was so incredible the way that they put these kids essentially on a stage and they just conduct themselves. They have all these crazy suits on that. <laughs> they, they were beautiful. Michael Penix's was beautiful. I saw that. Like a purple velvet with the um, names of his teammates and former coaches stitched into the that's jacket a nice touch. oh man it was really cool that's very sentimental yeah mm -hmm. all of them had very nice suits on and they all had a little touch of their school like bo nicks it was mainly like a beige and a white kind of combo green tie boom yeah <laughs> there you Perfect. go and it stuck out perfectly and maybe it wasn't beige his suit it was more like a white they, they all had really nice it's a little bit of an old school on. look yeah you know his was more a little bit old school marvin's you can even oh argue, you have to go the bow tie oh man i love dude, that all black and the bow tie i think even more old school but colin it was just an incredible experience we'll get more into it as we talk about the heisman trophy itself and the winner and where those four finalists will end up because you look at it, a lot of these guys could project in the first round maybe why they don't project in the first round a guy like marvin harrison probably going to go right behind caleb williams as the top overall pick so lots to talk about there but the first thing i want to talk about with you today colin fsu bama been a big conversation over the last couple weeks especially with the announcement coming of you know selection sunday is selection saturday so FSU, 13-0, they win a Power 5 conference left out of the playoff. Alabama, they go 12-1, and and they make it, essentially. <clears throat> they make it as a Power 5 undefeated team does not make it. Colin, your initial thoughts, I'll get into mine, but what, what do you think about that? Because they're kind of rewriting the rules here. Well, we had had a little bit of conversation about this before the pod, and my point was I'm fine with Alabama making the dance for entertainment purposes. I think Michigan-Alabama first round is a terrific matchup. To some extent, I think that's kind of what these matchups have been missing over the last couple of years was competitive early rounds. So I think we're going to get that between Michigan and Alabama. My only point of concern was you're changing how you decide who gets in, and it's almost as if you're catering to certain programs like in Alabama, where it becomes about the best team instead of who's most deserving. 
when you think about it at the collegiate level, recruiting plays a big factor. You could always say that the best teams are the ones that have the ability to go out and get the best players year for year. That doesn't mean they're necessarily the most deserving that particular season. Look at a program like USC. They didn't have the most fantastic season by any stretch of the imagination, but their quarterback is Caleb Williams. If you were thinking about this a certain way, could you make the roundabout argument that they should have been in contention? Now, I don't think so, but someone could plausibly do it under the guise that they are one of the best teams in college football because they have one of the best quarterbacks. Now, that's an outlandish example. USC would have never made the college football playoff this year, but that's the type of thinking you open yourself up to. Whereas if you go by the route of who's most deserving, Michigan, without a doubt, you could make Alabama as part of your argument, but more plausibly, you'd have to go with an FSU team that played tremendous football the entire year. Now, was it always clean football? No. That's why they're not considered one of the best teams, but they won. So for this year, they would be most deserving. So I think ultimately how I feel about this is it's fine that Bama made it. I think it opens the door for a very competitive first round. But now the parameters are starting to shift a little bit. And with realignment and a bigger playoff next year, things are going to get a little bit more interesting, especially when the committee sits down and you're going to have to make a choice between do we want a really competitive first-round matchup or are we going to do the right thing and give it to who's most deserving, quote-unquote? I think this realignment is really good for this case because that Big Ten is really going to be like the Big 20 at this point. But you're going to see more of those top-end programs playing each other. That's what's going to solve this this issue. FSU, this is why I give Alabama the slight nod because it's such a it's so hard – because there were so many good teams this year, the reason I give Bama the slight nod is the, the strength of schedule. They lost to a team ahead of them in Texas. Um, great game. They also beat Georgia, who then drops down. They have to play Georgia, whereas FSU doesn't. That's where it gets tricky because Bama has to play schools that FSU technically doesn't have to play. So if Bama wins, it's just like, well, they beat the number one team in the country. It's kind of a weird look. To the point about Georgia, I wasn't shocked that they didn't make it. I was a little surprised, though, because they've been so good for so long. And like I said before, now if we're shifting towards who are the best teams, well, over the last couple of years, Georgia is or has been one of the best teams. And I was a little surprised that Smart didn't get the Nick Saban treatment. And that definitely exists. There is a Nick Saban treatment. There is. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve that. He's Nick Saban. To one extent or another, you're going to get a little bit of that leniency. This year could be an example of that. They gave him a little bit of a push because he's Saban. And I was surprised Georgia didn't get similar treatment. I don't know if they deserved it this particular season because Alabama did beat them and the game was convincing, in my opinion. I thought Alabama controlled the clock well in that game. And sometimes at the collegiate level, that is the most telltale sign that you're about to win the football game I mean when you have wide receivers running wide open if you're able to just kind of control the clock play good defense you're winning the game absolutely but the um the reason I think that there is no Saban treatment there yet because they haven't they haven't gotten there yet Mm. they won two in a row but um you know Saban has won how many in the last 20 years right so there's been times where they've left Alabama off of the the college football playoff, whether it was similar to this. I don't think any year has quite stacked up with how close the teams are. 
11 and 1 is like the benchmark, 12 and 1 the benchmark. You could even argue Oregon. They are the number 1 offense in the country, lost twice to Washington. That's the number 2 seed right now. Ohio State 11 and 1, they're done. You know, Georgia's done. All of these teams, I would say the you know, 1 through 8 teams all had a bid, had a case to make it. That we haven't seen that in a few years. If Ohio State had beat Michigan, Oh, totally different story. It's a different story. And McCord uh, played a decent game for mm-hmm. Ohio State. I don't know if you were watching that one. I saw it a little is, bit of it. But. I thought, quite frankly, if Ohio State had won that game, and people were saying otherwise, you could have made the case. I'm not saying it would have happened. You could have made the case that both Michigan and Ohio State should have made the dance, which yeah. would have been great for like the last game. Year. Like last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm waiting for that national championship. Oh, man. With how good these programs are right now, too, it's I, I would love would love to see that. But I don't think Georgia's there yet for this Bama, for this kind of Bama treatment yet. Um, personally, it, it's tough, man. It's a tough conversation because you, I really value the strength of schedule. And I know FSU went undefeated, but... It's really hard to look at. Let's let's just look at go into the Bama schedule. It's really hard to look at a loss to to Texas by ten, who is the number three seed in the country. A win against Ole Miss, a win against Tennessee, LSU, a win against Georgia. Just more notable wins of the twelve as opposed to the thirteen that Florida State had. Florida State, if we take a big, if we take a closer look here. What are some notable wins for them? Well, they beat Louisville, right? They're pretty good. 14th, yep. Um, That's a big win for them. Pitt is not a big win. Miami is not a big win. Um, Clemson is, but Clemson was a four-loss team this year. Right. LSU was the biggest win they had in the number five seed. Nine and three this year. That came in week one, though. Like, that... I just reading those big games off compared to Alabama, it's hard to sit here and be like, yeah, I know they went thirteen and zero, but the teams that Alabama had to beat, I think, are just better. It makes me reassess Ohio State as well when you go game mm. by game because you look at some of the wins that they were able to pull off this year. Notre Dame beat them seventeen to fourteen. Yeah. Later in the schedule, they beat Penn State, who ended up as the number seven ranked team in the conference. They won that game twenty to twelve, which. While not a wide margin, let's not act like Penn State was a terrible squad. Right, this year. that was still a competitive type great, of game. They were in the top ten for a while. They were they were a hard win for the, in the beginning and pretty much halfway through the season. They were right. a hard win to get. Ohio State though, that's a good point because last year, um, they you know they were putting up seventy points against like huge schools. This year they didn't even crack the seventy point threshold once. So uh, I think that's a fair assessment. What their their thing is though, they need to get a quarterback. I agree. Yeah, and, I, and a receiver now, but I, their receivers over the last five years have been tremendous. I think McCord was good, but he wasn't the type of quarterback that was going to get the most out of Marvin Harrison Jr. And that was the problem for them partially on offense. That was year. Stroud. Stroud did that last right. year until Marvin got hurt. Mm. So you know. It, it helps to have that kind of guy who can just stand in the pocket and sling it. I don't think either Ohio State or Michigan has that guy. Mm-hmm. For as good as McCarthy can be some games, he's just not that type of quarterback. And when you're really vying for every win and you need every win on your schedule, you need that sort of quarterback. Or you could go the route of having like a speedster. You could have someone that can kind of run around, do some Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson-esque magic in the pocket, scramble for yards. Ohio State this year, to me, 
was just a couple pieces away from being something really special. I'll mm-hmm. be the first to admit, after that win against Notre Dame, I thought for sure they would run rough shot into the college football playoff. But it just goes to show you, man, every game so important, so impactful. Yeah, I, I really thought they were locks at the beginning of the season. And like, like I said before, they just didn't put up the points that they did over the last two years. Last year, I mean, that that college, I mean, that Ohio State team was one of the better college football teams I, I like followed. I was very in tune to them last year because they were they just were a juggernaut. And this year, not so much the case. But we bring up some names. You're talking about a dual threat in Michael Vick. You know, biggest name in college football right now to compare to him is the Heisman winner in Jaden Daniels. Why do we say that dual threat quarterback led the SEC in passing yards with a little over 3,000 or a lot over 3,000, pushing 4,000 and just shy of 1,200 rushing yards, good for second in the SEC behind Cody Schrader of Missouri, who actually finished eighth in Heisman voting. And that's where we will shift our focus of this college gridiron. Let's talk about this Heisman Trophy finalists a little bit. Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison. We talked about them in the beginning just a little bit. But let's talk about the award as a whole, um, just how how it went down. Aside from the experience, this was a really tough and close race here, Colin. You get three older but really established and good quarterbacks and a wide receiver who is going to go in the top three of the draft and is you know one of the more generational wide receivers that we've seen in quite some time. Without a doubt. And I think, if anything, this year's Heisman candidates reaffirmed that whether or not anyone's willing to admit it, the Heisman is a quarterback award until further notice. Now, obviously, there's been non-quarterbacks who have won the award. You've had wide receivers, running backs, defensive players that have won it. But... For the most part, unless something really fluky or out of the ordinary happens, typically the eyes will be trained on quarterbacks. And with someone like Jaden Daniels, it's hard not to watch what he does and not be impressed. 40 touchdowns, 4 interceptions only this year, 11.7 yards per attempt on passing attempts. That is quite impressive. And moreover, he's a testament to how the transfer portal is working now. Arizona All State, three of them. All three of right. these quarterbacks are a testament to and that. And it's incredible because there was a time when coaches would look for committed four-year guys, and if you're a player, you might only get, unless you're a superstar, one year as the guy at your school. Now with the transfer portal, if you show something at one institution, you can pick up your stuff and go somewhere else, and if you're lucky and you work hard enough, you may just bring home a Heisman in the process. I can't help but think if... This is 20, 30 years ago. Where is Jane Daniels? Well, yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He may not even be in college football anymore. And even for a quarterback, this is especially essential because there's a difference between playing for an Arizona State and then playing for an LSU. LSU, many more resources at its disposal in terms of recruiting, the type of players it can attract, the tradition there. I mean, even look recently, Joe Burrow was at a quarterback not too many years ago They were one all. of the best college football teams of all time just a few years ago. That reputation sells itself. And for someone like Daniels that is a dual threat to garner interest and then go there and do so well speaks to how the transfer portal is working for the players. Now, people might get frustrated with it. I'm not one of them. I think it's fascinating to watch these guys shuffle and then see – where they end up, because this felt like a match made in heaven from a personal standpoint for Jaden Daniels. I agree. I like the you know the miss the mixing and matching and the shuffling around. 
I'm just a little worried about how it could get overblown because I like stories like this. Like a Jaden Daniels is a great story. Goes to Arizona State, does not succeed. He's a huge recruit. Transfers, teammates clear out his locker, post garbage videos about him, call him trash, and just bury this kid. They bury him. Transfers and becomes the Heisman winner. Those are cool stories to look back and be like, yeah, wow, transfer portal works out. Um, where I'm worried, like I said, is where, like, kind of like it lies with what you just said in the beginning, too, Colin. It's like, now, um, if you just show a little bit of life somewhere, you can go wherever you want. It's almost like free agency, you know? Um, that's where I, that's just where I get a little concerned, but it's a good story for right now, so let's keep it with the good story. Michael Penix is the same way. Bo Nix as well. Bo, Bo Nix went from the SEC at Auburn, could not compete there, does two years at Oregon, and boom. Which there he is. feels a little bit different to me because it's not as if Auburn is kind of a lackluster institution of anything. They have a rich tradition of being a competitive college football mm. program. It's Oregon does as well. But mm-hmm. my point here would be it feels different with Bo, Mick, Bo Nix. That's not a critique on his talent at all. But it, I, you're right. Like When you look at the transfer portal, there's instances where you say to yourself, X does not equal Y. I don't look at Jaden Dan- Daniels' transfer the same way as I look at Bo Nix's transfer, just in terms of where they ended up and where they started. I think Bo Nix could have stayed at Auburn. Mm. He could have been just as successful with his talent. Would he have had the same type of support and weapons around him? That's largely up for discussion. But it may may with an asterisk here so don't take it as gospel it may have been more impressive if he had stuck it out auburn at a place like auburn had to compete against really good sec schools like in alabama or georgia and then where would his draft stock be it's already high as all hell so if he had stayed in an sec school who knows but then again there's always two sides to every coin sec quarterbacks not always hot commodities alabama quarterbacks especially but all kidding aside auburn Maybe a little bit better luck, Cam Newton. So. Uh, you know, it's t- he's another one. Right. Started at Florida, yeah. transferred to Auburn. You know, so uh, this is how college football goes, though. The, those are great stories like that. Um, I think you have a good argument there where he could be a better, you know, considered more widely, you know, if he stayed at Auburn. But I don't know, man. This is a tough – does he do that? Does he have, like, the number one offense in the country if he stays at Auburn? Probably not. Probably not. But a purist would argue, should he need the number one offense? Well, of course. Of course. But, <laughs> you know, it's tough. Like, it's such a business college exactly. football is now that they'd have to protect their own brands and their own images before they even go pro. And they have to protect that stock as well. I got to protect where I, where I could go to go pro. If Bo Nix, you know, puts, you know, a similar season together but isn't quite as historic as right. he was, he also, him and Michael Penix are the last mark of the Pac-12. So it's like there's all these other things. It's just like. Which is a special aspect. It is. It. You know, if he leaves, if he doesn't leave Auburn, it's like, man, we don't get Penix and Nix in the last season of the Pac-12 as we know it. What a showdown that was. You know, Oregon is the best offense in the country, but Washington finds a way to go undefeated and win the conference in their last season. We don't get that if Bo Nix stays at Auburn. That's a good point. We don't get that if Michael Penix stays in Indiana. So, 
I think for all the quarterbacks, you know, it's 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 cool. I like a pure. I like the you know go to a four year and and make it. It's just that's just not the game as it is anymore. The what ifs are so fun though. The what ifs you are have fun. to admit the what ifs. The what ifs are fun. Carry some of these conversations. Oh, for sure. It's like Tate Martell. Remember Tate Martell? There you go. Mm-hmm. Miami, Ohio State. <laughs> There's so many what ifs with these guys, but they the what ifs like you like you're pointing out. I feel like. They're becoming a little less because there's a little more leniency with the transfer portal. That's true. And I think talent is becoming more spread out because of the transfer portal where schools are getting second looks from guys and schools are giving players second looks mm. as well. Yeah. I think there was a time where certain institutions were valued as four-year places where you'd go and develop, whereas now... You know, everyone's learning a little bit more. The game has gotten more advanced. Coaches have become smarter. Programs as a whole have become smarter. It's just a matter of attracting the right type of people for your program. I think a place like Michigan does a great job of that. I think they're the type of school where you look at their roster, they have NFL quality talent, but none of it necessarily is superstar. Talent. I think Blake Corum is a perfect example of this. I look at him and I see someone that could be an NFL running back. Do I think he's a superstar like a Derrick Henry? No. Probably be like a third round, probably be like a Henry though, a third round, second round pick. But he's a smart player. See, that's the thing. The intelligence is there. I think other institutions like an Alabama or a Georgia can attract those big name superstar level players. Ohio State, same sort of deal with a Marvin Harrison Jr. I think there's more than one way to recruit there's more than one way to become successful the transfer portal is both a reason for that and a side effect of the schools becoming smarter in terms of who they're looking for and why they're looking for them here's something here's a here's a discussion for us because you just sparked this in me with the big 10 becoming the big 18 almost i believe that's how many teams are going to be in that conference next year that's huge and it's all over the country it's cool it's just wow you know it's a lot haven't seen that before um with that being the case, are schools like Michigan and Ohio State going to have to change how they recruit now? Because think about the SEC, how they get talent. Right. Now you got to compete with all these schools that came from the West in your own conference. You already had to compete with them to begin with, but now you need to. They're probably going to end up in your conference, but now you have to keep them away from the other teams who are now in your conference instead of them going to the Pac-12, which doesn't exist now. I think schools like a Michigan or an Ohio State will have to lean more into reputation. Mm, they already lean into and, it a lot. Pedigree, like, okay, okay. And this is where having a guy like Harbaugh around becomes massively important. It's a pay raise because he might end up in the NFL. And a deserved pay raise at that point because he's part of what sells Michigan as a program. You think back to Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer was – you know what he Urban is now. Meyer, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and Harbaugh too with right. the with the cheating scandal this year. But. Right, but uh, a little different, I think. D- totally, I think. <laughs> totally. I think Meyer's a little bit more scandal, egg in his face. Scandal, scandal wise, <laughs> we'll we'll keep the comparison there. But but Ur- Urban Meyer. <laughs> I'll use Nick Saban. I was going to say there was a time when Urban Meyer's reputation as a college coach preceded itself, in that guys Absolutely. wanted to come play for him. Absolutely, I think it's the same type of thing with Saban. As far as the Big Ten Conference, that brand becomes so important for each individual mm. school. Yeah, 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 I think places like Minnesota are going to struggle because there's already... Because they don't have that face there. Right. Michigan and Ohio State. I would say, I would argue Ryan Day has made himself a face as Ohio State. I think he's getting there. He's getting there because of how good their teams are. Harbo's already there. 
I'll tell you who's going to struggle to recruit now. Notre Dame. You think so? I think they're going to struggle. Because they're not in a conference? I think it's going to be because they're not in a conference and because, quite frankly, over the last couple of years, they haven't won the big games. And players might care about that because if you're a Blake Corum type of player where you'll mm-hmm. put up good stats but you don't necessarily pop off the page in terms of peripherals, you want to play in big games to prove I can show up when it matters because an NFL team, no, you might not be the number one running back, but you could be a quality third down back, and we know that you'll show up when it matters. So a place like Notre Dame is going to struggle to recruit because you haven't been winning the big games. In fact, this regular season you lost probably the biggest game of your season at home against a Big Ten school that's going to be recruiting the same type of players. Yep. So I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Repu- reputation and tradition are going to hold a lot with these schools, especially with how big the Big Ten is. But you bring up Notre Dame and you bring up, bring up Blake Corum. Before we move on to our final portion of College Gridiron today, four running backs were mentioned in the top ten of Heisman finalists. Those, or excuse me, only three, but Ollie Gordon the second, Cody Schrader, and Blake Corum, seven through nine in order that way. All running backs, they make the top 10 of the Heisman Trophy finalists. You bring up Notre Dame, Colin, their running back, Audric Estime. Shout out him. Love you, Audric. Went to high school with him. He just declared for the NFL draft yesterday. Another running back to keep an eye on as to, to fit in with a Corum and a Schrader and a Gordon. Maybe like a Jonathan Brooks as well. He might be a tier below those guys, but this... Notre Dame had some special talent. Estime was one of those guys, as he declares now for the NFL draft. And that wants me to lean towards, let's take a look at these final, these four finalists for the final time. And where do you see Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels, and Marvin Harrison all rounding out in this spring's NFL draft column? In terms of teams, it varies depending on where... Everything for sure. Out. There's still some NFL season left that'll determine that as well. And the Drake May of it all complicates where the Heisman finalists mm. end up because there's teams that are very high on Drake May. I know for a fact New England is high on Drake May and his talent. Although, if I was New England, if I ended up with that high of a draft pick, if you should so happen to land on a Bonix, I would strongly consider Bonix. Um, and then for Jaden Daniels, that's going to be interesting because. Traditionally, his build and skill set has struggled out of the gate at the NFL level. Now, there's always the potential that he blends into something much better, like a Jalen Hurts or a Michael Vick, and finds his footing. But that first year and change that you have, someone like a Jaden Daniels, you're going to have to tread lightly, especially if you don't necessarily have the right coach or offense around him. I think him... Going in the late first round makes a lot of sense. Draws a lot of comparisons to Lamar Jackson, not just because of their style of play, but because of that style of style of play being of you know kind of this. Uh, what am I trying to say? I guess this barricade to getting mm-hmm. them in. You know, Lamar Jackson. You can make an argument could have been the second person to win two Heisman's yeah. instead of just one, and he's a thirty second overall pick in the first round. Jaden Daniels, I think, is going to fall to the bottom 25, you know, down there, 25 and and below. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing because who is usually at that point 
better teams. Goes to a little bit of a better situation. Let's say, for instance, Seattle. They really fit. need a quarterback. Penix would be great there, too, because he's a Washington guy. Um, but let's just use Seattle as a as an example. Geno Smith is going to be 35 next year. Drew Locke is just turning out to be a, a you know career backup. Have Jaden Daniels sit behind Geno Smith if he has you know whatever he's got left in the tank. But usually when you're in that late of the round, the team probably has an established quarterback. Have him sit behind somebody if this quarterback is on his way out. Lamar did it for a little bit with Flacco and then jumped right in, and he might win his second MVP this year. Jaden Daniels has those kinds of tools, but he needs the right mentorship before unleashing those tools. And might I add, Seattle has a history of working well with that type of quarterback. When Russell Wilson was at his peak, Seattle was a scary team because they realized how to use his skill set holistically. Yep. I think, as well, a team that could benefit from having a player like Daniels, perhaps Pittsburgh, when you have that strong of a defense and an offense that can't keep up, sometimes you want a quarterback that can run the ball, control the clock as best he can. You lean into a ground-and-pound attack for his first couple of years down the road, through the draft, through free agency trades. You could acquire some wide receivers as he develops as a passer and then kind of lean into that skill set a little bit more. I think a place like Pittsburgh would be good for him in terms of structure. So there's definitely options. I like Pittsburgh. I just, um, I like the coaching staff for him. The quarterback situation for him to like get an idea is just rough though. Trubisky and Pickett. I don't know. Uh, Marvin Harrison is the last guy I want to touch on for the Heisman candidates. I think that is how Kyler Murray is going to stay in Arizona. Ooh, that's an interesting room. Like that's an interesting offensive room. Goes Kyler Murray and Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't know how that's going to blend. I mean, because right now, is Murray's job necessarily secure? I've heard varying things. I don't know. That that That's tough. But if you're the Cardinals, do you want to use another top 10 pick on a quarterback in the Probably last 10 not. years? Josh Rosen, and then you immediately pivot to Kyler Murray, and that just that was great, and now they're one of the worst teams in football. Do you really want to go to another quarterback? You know, if I'm the Patriots, I'm tanking as much as I can so I can get Caleb Williams. I know they love Drake May, but, I mean. I think Caleb is who they would rather end up with. I don't know if they get him. I still have a feeling Chicago or uh, – Carolina, too. They're going to have two top five picks. I mean, But then again, they kind of gambled last year with, with, Bryce with Bryce Young. They're in a weird spot. I'm not completely off the Bryce Young train yet. I don't think no, he's it's a so star. Early. But it's I, so early. you got to give him time. And the right situation, which yeah. Carolina is well, maybe they not get two so far. big top five picks this year, and they can get him some help. Carolina's in a really weird spot for any of these candidates, though. I still think Chicago goes for Caleb, which I think so. Also leads to the question: What do you do with Justin Fields yeah, then, yeah, in Chicago? I think you would. He would either be the backup because Caleb's not going to be the backup wherever he goes, unless it's to a good team, which is not a good team is not getting which the first overall pick, unless they trade with the Panthers. Um, but it's just not happening. Uh, the Bears. The Bears have the pick. Thank you for telling me that, Joe. The Bears have the pick. Um, that's right. I got all confused. Last year, it's, they, they made know. the trade and all that. But um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think the Patriots will end up with Caleb Williams at the end of the day. I don't think the Bears are going to quite give up on Justin Fields yet. I'm just looking at the draft board. The only team that I could see trading 
up if they have the assets. I'd really have to do a deep dive into what they have at their disposal that would be interested in a quarterback that high, other than who we've already discussed. Tampa Bay, potentially. I Could don't be. think they see Baker as a long-term solution. No, but if he wins this division for them this year, though. Y'all, but Not as a have... long-term solution, but... Short term. Hold on to him, yeah, because well, a lot of their players now are kind of short term. Does then the argument become you hold on to Baker and then trade up this draft to get a younger quarterback to sit under him for a year? Not that could, but then again, why would you sit under Baker for a year? I, I, the Bucks are it a is, tough <sighs> spot because they're such a five hundred team, but they're right. in such a five hundred division. Like they could squeeze into the playoffs every year that they can. Well, you know what I was convinced was going to happen. It's a completely different team. But at one time this season, I was sure that the Rams were going to tank and that they would pick a quarterback, have him sit under Stafford for a year, Mm -mm. trade Stafford, and then have this younger quarterback work with an offensive savant in Sean McVay. They ended up being pretty good this year. They might make the playoffs. They might make the playoffs. So they're another team that they also drafted Stetson Bennett, not saying that he would play. but And and, no, that's the Chargers. They have Max Duggan. Um, So, you know, guys from last year's college football playoff – but yeah, this is a. There's four really good quarterbacks. Actually, five really good quarterbacks in this class. Very interested to see where they're all going to go and where all our Heisman finalists are going to go. But right before we leave, we have our top four teams. It's kind of a quiet period until the bowl games start. Colin, Michigan number one, Washington, Washington number two, Texas number three, Bama number four. Um, Michigan will play Alabama and Washington will play Texas. Who is advancing? To the college football final, Colin. Well, I'll take on the two three matchup first. I think Texas will really? beat Washington. I think Washington's done a tremendous job this year, but I tend to lean towards the team that played in the tougher conference, just in terms of your ability to show up on this sort of stage. I just don't know if Washington's gonna be able to to handle that. Uh obviously played against Oregon, played fantastic against Bo Nix and that crew, there's a difference. There's a clear difference there. I think it's a close game, but I'm going to take Texas to win. So I'm going to take Washington. I so really, really difference. like I really, really liked how they closed their season Fair. out. I like Texas. Jonathan Brooks' injury yep. really hurts them. I know they're back up. I can't think of his name off of the top of my head right now, um, but he is very good, and he's put up some very good numbers. Uh, losing Jonathan Brooks definitely sucked for them. But I just like the, I like Penix's story. I like Washington's story. Oregon, we keep obviously we keep talking about them because they had a Heisman, uh, Heisman candidate, candidate. But they were the number one offense. They were the number one offense, and Washington beat them twice, and they went undefeated. It's just it's the conference for me. I I, I get that. I I can get behind you on that. I'm just I'm gonna take them though because I want them to finish this one out, and I'll I I'll get them going to the final. I'm not gonna pick the final winner. I'll go Washington wins the semi, and I'll say Michigan. I usually I would say Alabama, but I'll have uh, Washington and Michigan as your college football final. Is there any doubt who I'm going for? I'm taking Michigan. Go blue. I there think you're go. gonna get two Loveland touchdowns, a Blake Corum touchdown in there as well. I think there's gonna be a lot of points in this game, contrary to popular belief. Uh-huh. I think Michigan will control the clock to one extent or another. That okay. would be what helps them beat. Saban, you got to play intelligent against a Saban-led Absolutely. unit. Uh, I also feel like this could be an interesting game for J.J. McCarthy in Absolutely. terms of his NFL aspirations because while nothing about him pops off the stat sheet, only 19 touchdowns and four interceptions this year, 
he's the type of guy that can manage a game effectively. And a season like this in the NFL proves you need a competent backup. In fact, if you have a competent backup, that could go a long way in terms of getting you into the playoffs. And once you're in the dance, anything can happen. Absolutely. I'm taking Michigan to win that game. I like that. I like the Michigan-Texas matchup. I like Michigan-Washington, obviously. Although, albeit, I should say, the chaos surrounding the selection Saturday, this is a very, very good field of four teams, I think. A very good – you could put other teams in for other teams and it would still be good. That's just how good college football was this year. We are kind of blessed to have that. So I think all four of these options, despite you know the controversy, it's going to be a fun playoff. I don't think we're going to see a 65-7 to or whatever it was last year, Georgia, kind of just manhandling TCU. I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think we're going to have a lot more excitement. But that – I said that last year, too. Yeah. I said that last year. I thought that game was going to be much more I know, and it just, you know, (laughs) Georgia, they were just undeniable then. But that's going to do it for us on College Gridiron. For Colin Lochran, I'm Will Talent. We talked about some FSU-Bama, some Heisman, where we think the finalists are going to wrap up in the draft where they will end up. And our college football playoff semifinal predictions we're getting to that time exciting and very meaningful football coming across on all landscapes both professionally and in college but that will do it here on college gridiron college gridiron is a production of wfuv sports